This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, November 9th, 2021. I'm Kyle Kellams, and this is KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. This hour, we'll learn more about the attitudes of Arkansans as revealed in the 2021 edition of the Arkansas Poll. We see Congress as you know having an approval rating now of about 10 percent among very likely voters, uh, and that is um, certainly um, a multi-decade uh, low. And the people who serve in those institutions tend to do, you know, markedly better <laughs> than that. Uh, but we also see that they are down from 2020. Janine Perry discusses the poll with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth in just a few minutes. And later, our militant grammarian is back with an exploration into the odd origins of some pretty common words. That's in today's second half hour. Arkansas will receive more than $3 million to help the state's tourism industry rebound from the pandemic. The U.S. Department of Commerce is making a total of $314 million in grants to help states bolster marketing, infrastructure, and workforce to help rejuvenate safe leisure, business, and international travel. Arkansas tourism officials say they will use the money for six different purposes, with about half the money going to branding and paid media. The Arkansas Department of Health is reporting 141 new cases of COVID-19 in yesterday's report, with 11 additional deaths from the virus. Active cases dropped by a net of just more than 300. Hospitalizations from coronavirus were reduced by one patient. There are now 289 people in Arkansas hospitals because of the virus. Talk Business and Politics reports Bentonville-based Walmart is testing a possible replacement for plastic bags. One possible alternative is a system called Fill It Forward that will allow customers to accumulate points for shopping with reusable bags. The points would convert into money directed toward a local organization. That concept, being tested in California, is responsible for a 31% increase in the adoption of reusable bags there. In 2008, the company pledged to reduce its global plastic bag waste by an average of 33% by 2013 and reports that in 2020, plastic bags account for about 6% of the company's plastic footprint inside the United States. Committees overseeing the replacement of Arkansas's two statues in the U.S. Capitol have approved sending final scale models to federal authorities for approval. The sculptors selected to make statues of civil rights activist Daisy Bates and singer Johnny Cash presented their final models yesterday. Benjamin Victor, who's been working on the Bates statue, explained final modifications he's made. I had already worked on her hair and uh, redone the hair according to instructions and some photos that were provided, which were very helpful. And I, I think you're going to like what you see. I haven't put the high heels on the maquette. I don't think that'll be an issue with the architect of the Capitol's office. I can discuss it with them. The shoes Bates is wearing was one discrepancy brought up in a recent meeting. Members of the Capitol Arts and Grounds Commission and the National Statuary Hall Steering Committee voted on the Bates statue. Uh, we, have, we have a motion and a second to accept the maquette as uh, presented. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Changes made to the cash statue were also approved. Both statues must now get final approval from the architect's office at the U.S. Capitol before the full-size bronze statues are made. Governor Asa Hutchinson has said he hopes they can be unveiled by the end of next year. The state legislature approved changing Arkansas's statues two years ago. Each state has two that are on display in Statuary Hall at the Capitol, and Arkansas's current statues are more than a century old. The tree that will serve as the Christmas tree on the U.S. Capitol lawn this year will make a stop in Fayetteville on its way to Washington, D.C. The tree, an 84-foot-tall white fir from California, 
will be on display November 13th at Reynolds Razorback Stadium from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. that day. The display will include remarks from Fayetteville officials and complimentary hot chocolate. The ceremony will be open to the public at no cost. This is Ozarks at Large. A statewide survey from the University of Arkansas shows growing concerns for the economy, frustration over politics, and health worries due to the pandemic as the major concerns for Arkansans. The annual Arkansas poll, released last week, analyzes the responses of 800 randomly selected residents on a range of topics. Political science professor Janine Perry leads the study. She spoke with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth about the major findings. All right. So the Arkansas poll, 23rd year. Can you talk me through, you know, the biggest finding was that the economy is people's main concern. It was up there with healthcare and politics, but those took a little bit of a dip throughout the year. Can you walk me through that, where those dips were and and what about the economy has remained? Yes. I, I think what I would point people to is the overall pattern of the economy for more than two decades as being one of the primary and recurring concerns of Arkansans, just as it is for people nationwide. I did notice a little bit of a pattern this year uh, in terms of the open-ended responses. It wasn't just jobs, you know, that we would put into the economics category, but, you know, there were several mentions of um, socialism, and that probably is an economic issue. It probably, you know, to a political scientist like me, it suggests questions about the scope and scale of government and probably the um, the tax burden of the average person. And so do I say that that's the economy or do I say that that's part of taxes and government as what they're concerned about? It's hard to know. So I would say the categorizations are pretty loose and clunky in those odd-numbered years, but they inform the even-numbered years, and I think that's really important. And obviously, the elephant in the room or whatever is with COVID and its economic consequences and including like these long-term supply chain things and people are all over the map and, you know, those won't necessarily make sense into coming years. So the most important problem question was a bit of a problem this year. (laughs) That's the long way, I think, of answering that. Yeah. And then one of the things that stuck out to me was um, when it comes to politics, um, there was a drop in approval ratings for a lot of the uh, a lot of Republicans. And not necessarily that means there was ground made up for Democrats. But can you break down some of what that undercurrent is and where that opposition or frustration with politics is coming from? Yes. So we know nationally, and it turns out in Arkansas, that um, national political institutions, um, national economic institutions, like just high profile established human institutions are all taking a really hard hit. And we see that here as well. You know, we see Congress as you know having an approval rating now of about 10 percent among very likely voters. Uh, and that is um, certainly um, a multi-decade uh, low. 
and the people who serve in those institutions tend to do, you know, markedly better <laughs> than that. Uh, but we also see that they are down from 2020. And I think there are a couple of things happening. One is that in even-numbered years, it is often the case that people become more attentive to politics and usually more partisan. And so public figures usually get higher approval ratings, but also often higher disapproval ratings, especially if it's their turn on the ballot that year. So in 2020, we had higher than average approval ratings as Arkansas has taken this rightward shift, and these are all Republicans. And so the dip is probably partly a consequence of it was at sort of an unusual high the last time we checked it, right? So it's always your starting point. Um, and it's really kind of come down to more typical levels. That's true of those D.C. figures, but it is actually not so much true of Hutchinson. Um, Arkansas governors, there are just a handful of exceptions, typically have approval ratings that are above 60 percent, very often above 65 percent, and it's not unheard of for them to be above 70 percent. But uh, Governor Hutchinson uh, did not have that this year. He was at 57 percent approval for the whole sample, 60 percent approval among very likely voters. And compared to other governors, that's actually really good. They're now averaging as a group less than 50 percent. So I think what we have is a little bit of a snapshot of the divisions inside the Republican Party, where Governor Hutchinson finds himself in that division. And then, of course, just what's been going on with governors overall, which is they've been on the front lines of of managing the public policy piece of a pandemic now for 18 months, people have just suddenly, I think, become much less patient about that. Uh, and I think that he's suffered suffered a bit as a result. Right. And when you're looking at the poll, um, you know, what does this say about the political identity of Arkansas as a state? What does this tell you? What I see is, again, kind of another end bracket to Arkansas's wholesale transformation in really a very short period of time from being one party Democrat up to and including, but with signs of change, 2010, 2012, and then, you know, the full flip happened by 2014. So when we see now, um, and we ask people up front, you know, generally speaking, do you consider yourself a Republican, a Democrat, an independent, or what? Among very likely voters, we pretty consistently have now about 40% of our respondents saying they are Republican. That's only been the case for a couple of years. It was usually more like a quarter. And then, um, you know, maybe six or seven years ago, it was a third. And then now it looks like we're going to be pretty consistently in the 40% plus uh, range for that. And then Democrats, uh, whereas they used to consistently be between 35 and 40% um, in the early part of this century, uh, now they're down to about a fifth of our respondents who identify as Democrats. And what's even more interesting, I think it's been more interesting to watch in the last uh, 10 to 11 years has been what's happening with independents, because they were always about a third of our respondents. And then we would follow up with a question to them and we would say, you know, basically, really, you can tell me which way do you lean. Uh, but around 2010, they started to take a hard right turn and they just really haven't looked back. And so consistently, those independents are almost half lean Republicans. Yeah. And then another thing that struck me was there was a, a good amount of respondents who said they wanted to see more women in, in politics um, can you talk a little bit about that and where that's coming from, especially as we see a governor's race that has the front runners are both women? It's, it's not an accident that I return to that battery this year. There are a lot of ways of looking at that. But one that's been around for a while is basically to create this battery 
uh, five different questions that have to do with how people feel in the abstract about women's qualifications for or suitability for public office. About 10 years ago, I did this battery. I would say overall, we have a slightly smaller percentage of people who appear to have an abstract um, feeling that women are not suited as a general rule for public life. And so we've seen a slight decrease in that. So it's anywhere from a third to 25% of our respondents, you know, will say something close to, I'm just not really comfortable with most women in that role. But it is also the case that a few times in the last 10 years, I've run a priming experiment, and I don't have the results yet, but I have an honors student who's doing this with me. Essentially, the idea is it pulls off of some social social psychological research that has to do with exemplars. So if you prime people to think about a specific person in a particular category first, you're testing to see if it changes the attitudes they might otherwise have expressed. So essentially, we ask the whole sample, this battery of five questions, but for half the sample in a randomly assigned way, we ask them to think about Sarah Huckabee Sanders and then also about Leslie Rutledge, the current um, attorney general and also a declared candidate for governor on the Republican side. We asked half the sample to think about those two particular uh, candidates first and then ask them. But we think this is a really interesting opportunity to ask the disproportionately male and obviously Republican potential voters now in this state who have two relatively high profile women wanting to carry their banner for the highest you know, profile office in their party in their state. Does that change their perspective? Probably yes, because partisanship is kind of washing out all other concerns at this point. Um, but I, I don't want to conclude that right without running the numbers. So um, we'll report back uh, when when Fran's been able to conduct this uh, this analysis, the students that, that's working on this project with me. And then, you know, I want to shift to the study overall was a bit more pessimistic this year than last. There was a bit more uncertainty and, and frustration Um can you speak to that a little bit and break down maybe where that's coming from with the respondents? Yes. Yeah, so almost every year since we started back in 1999, we've asked this um, battery that I just identify as, quote unquote, life in Arkansas. It's three questions, um, and they are these. First, do you feel Arkansas is headed in the right direction or wrong direction? And then second, are you financially better, worse, or the same compared to last year? And then finally, a year from now, 63% of very likely voters said that Arkansas was headed um, in the right direction. And I think even more interestingly, 28%, which is among the highest we've recorded, said that it was headed in the wrong direction. And then similarly, and I think this is kind of the, the pessimism you were commenting on, when you look back from last year, we got about a quarter of people saying um, that things were better for them, uh, about half saying that things were the same, which is pretty typical, but again, almost a third saying that things um, were worse. And then when they look ahead, when we're asking them to think about 2022, we only get 20% saying things are going to be better. But one more time, about a third saying that thing, they anticipated things would be worse, um, which is the highest that we've recorded in the 23 years. So what seems to be driving the right direction, wrong direction in Arkansas dip is 
Democrats are much more likely to think things are going in the wrong direction in Arkansas. But the other two, the Republicans actually were more likely to say wrong direction. And I strongly suspect, based on past research, that that's because they're looking at unified Democratic control, if just barely, in Washington, D.C., and they're thinking about what the economic outlook would be in terms of their preferences as Republicans. Um, It was fun to probe that a little bit. And then, you know, this is uh, 23rd year of the poll. What keeps you coming back to, to doing it? I mean, what, what draws you to it every year, <laughs> other than it's your job? But. I know. It is. I really like long-term patterns when I can see it for 10 years and then for 20 years. And then I guess by the time I finish, right, probably 25, 26 years I'll have of these data. I know that I'm capturing something real when it doesn't move much from year to year or when I can see that, oh, it's moved, but it moves like two or three points every year like conservatives and moderates have in Arkansas. When we ask people about ideology, they've just very slowly, right, almost imperceptibly switched positions where the conservatives, right, kind of came to take over where moderates used to be ideologically and the liberals, right, are still over at somewhere between 13 and 18 percent. But and the other thing too, I would say, and having these data out there every year and not just the horse race stuff, which is only a very small portion of what we do, allows people, a representative sample of people, to provide input into the political system more frequently and I think more substantively than elections do. And in fact, I did some research on this years ago, but I'm fairly certain this poll is now one of the oldest state-level public polls that's out there. Um, So hopefully it's useful into the future for research purposes, but I also hope um, that people will consult it when they're trying to decide, like, in a republic, which seems important, is this what most people want? This isn't perfect, but it seems like more input and over a longer period of time of a more representative sample than, you know, elections usually provide. Yeah. And then one big takeaway from this poll, something that surprised you or you think this is what people need to know. I would say the life in Arkansas stuff did interest me a lot this year. Typically, when people are feeling more pessimistic on any of these measures, it has a more direct connection to unemployment rates, you know, but our unemployment rate is like 4%. Usually it tracks with something specific. And this, I think, actually is more, I guess, like almost everything in American life right now, the result of our hyperpartisan lenses. Um, and that interests me. Uh, it saddens me, actually, honestly, but it, it interests me a great deal. I'm real curious to see what it, what it looks like next year. Oh, people might be interested to know that by my calculation, we've done more than 20,000 interviews now. And most of those interviews average probably 17 or 18 minutes long. Every year, the poll is somewhere between 50 and 70 questions. And all of our data, the raw data, are posted on our website. So um, if people wanted to go in and learn a little something about Arkansas, run their own analyses, you know, they they totally can. Um, It's a... Uh, a, a, a rich source, I guess, to mine. Well, thank you, Janine, for talking to me. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you for asking me. That's University of Arkansas political science professor Janine Perry speaking about the 2021 Arkansas poll with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth in the Karen Taha News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio. And just ahead on today's Ozarks, we turn our attention to national politics as Roby Brock asked John Brummett about the present and future 
of Republicans and Democrats in the aftermath of last week's GOP success in Virginia and the passage of an infrastructure bill. Their conversation begins in about two minutes. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Arkansas Senior Health Insurance Information Program offers free, confidential, unbiased advice for those receiving or about to receive Medicare and the Part D drug plan. Open enrollment runs through December 7th. ARSHIP can help individuals make the correct decision about their health care needs, including the Part D drug plan. Help and information is available at 1-800-224-6330. That's 1-800-224-6330. This is Ozarks at Large. With a special session steered toward tax policy in Arkansas, not yet called by the governor, John Brummett and Roby Brock are turning their weekly conversation about politics toward national developments. Brummett, a political columnist with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and Brock, with our partner Talk Business and Politics, are discussing last week's high-profile win for the GOP in Virginia and the passage of an infrastructure bill in the U.S. House. Roby asked John Brummett if that bill is enough of a good news item for the National Democrats to outweigh the negative of the defeat in the Virginia governor's race. It bears mentioning, one more time, that they could have done this in August. They ended up doing last Friday night what they could have done in August when the bill came over from the Senate, which gave it 69 votes, including the votes of 19 Republicans. They could have passed an infrastructure bill. They could have made governors happy. They could have had governors extolling all this money going to be spent in their states. They could have had, what's his name, McAuliffe in Virginia touting what his party had accomplished for Virginia. They would have appeared less ridiculously lurching to the left by tying a perfectly popular infrastructure bill to a vague, vast spending bill. That's That was a major factor in what happened to them, and they could have done it then, and they did it gloriously, in my opinion, because I'm, I'm getting of this school of thought that a bipartisan uh, victory at this point is more important to the country's psyche than a real policy advancement, because I don't think you, we've got enough votes to have major policy advancements. So it could have, it would have made, I think, a difference, and it, and at least is, a shifting of gears by the Democrats. Biden, event, Biden eventually on Friday did what he should have done months ago, rather than saying, "Would y'all Democrats get with me? We need to pass this agenda, these two bills." I believe it's pretty clear he sent the word, please give me, please give me this infrastructure bill tonight. We need to spike this ball and then move to the other. Could have done it months ago, would have been much smarter. As I don't know if we were telling, but I know good and well I've been telling them, and I don't like to say I told you so, but I told you so. (laughs) Um, Well, and then you've got the contradictory message of pretty much in the same news cycle, the OSHA regulations come out, which are... Uh, have not been well received by the business community and are, um, I guess, feed into the narrative that, that again, Joe Biden and the Democrats are doing something. Uh, So have they stepped on their message in that respect with the with the OSHA vaccine mandates? I so hope not that 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 tempers or or affects my uh, objective analysis. I mean, it's a simple thing. OSHA exists for workplace safety. This is a workplace safety issue. Everybody's complained about OSHA for generations. Let them keep complaining. Uh, 
And it's not a full mandate on a vaccine. There are options for you. You can do this testing. And it's all designed to have an active government attend to our public health. And I am mystified. So many things I think I understand. My last statement, so certain and profound. What this aversion is, I, I simply am out of that loop. I don't get it. But I think something tells me this that the that the mixed message is not symmetrically mixed. I think doing something on infrastructure and getting a governor even like Asa Hutchison to praise the passage so that we can see some work getting done out here to make our our bridges safer is better than the vaccine mandate is bad. But we shall see about that and I will readily admit I don't get the I don't get the the, the growing vaccine resistance. I don't understand the Aaron Rodgerses of the world and can't but pretend that I do. All right, you mentioned he's earlier. Green Bay, he's a Green Bay quarterback who, yes. who didn't get vaccinated. Okay. All right. Yeah. The, um, you mentioned earlier the Virginia race last week. There was also races, I think, in New Jersey. There were a couple of others around uh, the country as well. But that Virginia race was the seminal one that everybody was watching in terms of what does this say or portend for the midterms in 2022? A year away is an eternity in politics, as you well know. Is this just a wake-up call, like some smelling salts for the Democrats, or do you think – they are on the ropes and Republicans have the momentum and it is inevitable what's going to happen in 2022. My view is the latter. They're on the ropes and it is inevitable. Uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, that's, just, that's just how I read it. Granted, strong pronouncements about something that's gonna happen in a year Joe Biden was uh, beat Trump 54, nearly 55, 45 in Virginia a year ago. Exit polls this Tuesday showed his his uh, disapproval rating in Virginia 56, and 53 percent of the respondents said the Democratic Party was too liberal. Uh, so yeah, I mean that all can change, but it tells. I, I believe right now. I see it more as a as a likely harbinger. Uh, because I think Democrats will be uh, will will be sort of fatigued, uh, lacking, and, and the swing voters will lack the uh, motivation to get rid of Trump, of whom they disapproved, and will find the Democrats more uh, to disapprove of, and will continue this seesaw. It, it will not be the first time. It would not be the first time that a Democratic president of either party uh, suffered a loss of majorities in the immediate midterms. It's, I was hoping against hope that the Democrats would do better, but the lesson of Virginia seems to be, and I'm thinking it still will apply in 12 months, is that the Democrats lurched too far left, tried to over, I hate to use, overreach, tried to outreach their mandate, which was mainly to take Trump's place and try to behave competently. And beyond that, not just on the tax issues and this and this trouble they've had in Washington, but it's obvious that you get outside the cities, get outside the high academic areas. This is a center-right country, not just in white rural America, but now in white suburban America, where people where people are, have kind of a white backlash 
And the Democrats want to blame it on racism and race and, and to say, we're not teaching critical race theory in our schools. But the people are recoiling against what they think is a new general feeling that, uh, that, we're, that we're just deciding suddenly that America is all bad rather than a bad a country with a bad history that has worked hard to overcome it and had some success. And I think people are, are recoiling against that. And the Democrats are, 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 the Democrats are in a position, position of getting defeated three to one when you get into the rural areas and, and losing suburbs that delivered in Atlanta and Phoenix areas, the victories over Trump. That's why I'm pessimistic for the Democrats' chances uh, and, and not clear within 12 months how all that turns around. Republican messaging better, greater than Democratic messaging is the bottom line on all of that. So, well, that's part of it, but that, yes, but Democrat, Democratic positions or positions with which Democrats get laden by the impractical progressive movement. I'll just say this, Minneapolis, a liberal democratic city, 58-42 defeated what has come to be known absurdly as defund the police. If you're carrying around defund the police in any remote way in your message, even if it's one forced on you, you're in trouble. Uh, and and that's uh, I, th I think that's uh, a very clear lesson. I told uh, gave a talk the other night, and I told these people that a seminal moment for me was when I was halfway through a column trying to defend defund the police as not really what these people meant and how we needed to reform the police. And I just hit the kill button halfway through. I said okay, I can't do it. That's 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 just not that's no way to try to engage readers or engage in public discussion. It, so yeah, that's messaging, but it is a it's a position that's that the culture and this cultural change has forced on Democrats that they're having a hard time figuring out how to handle. We need police to be better, but anything the smacks of, of defund the police. Those three words never should be used in contemporary American politics. I'll still go back to Republican messaging greater than Democratic messaging. It's still okay. messaging. Okay, yes, yes, but positions enter into the messaging a little. Yes. Uh, positions forced on them, but yes, uh, yes. You, you, your, your synopsis is absolutely correct. John Brummett is a political columnist with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. His columns can be read at ArkansasOnline.com. He talks with Roby Brock from our partner, Talk Business and Politics, each week. And there's a bit more from their conversation, including John Brummett's latest take on the new legislative maps for Arkansas at TalkBusiness.net. This is Ozarks at Large. You feel yucky, feverish, achy, congested? Do you have a cold, the flu, maybe bad seasonal allergies, or COVID-19? Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich helps us sort out the symptoms. Many of us are removing masks and gathering close and indoors with family, friends, and colleagues again now that the pandemic appears to be finally easing due to widespread vaccination, but with common cold and seasonal flu virus now back in circulation, infecting more Arkansans, how do we know which bug we've caught? 
or if we've contracted a case of COVID-19, flu and especially colds share many of the same symptoms, says Dr. Jennifer Dillahay. She's chief medical officer and director for immunization and outbreak response at the Arkansas Department of Health. The common cold, there's a number of viruses that cause it. There's rhinoviruses and there's other coronaviruses that are frequent causes of the common cold. They cause about 40% of the common cold is other human coronaviruses. And the interesting thing about these viruses is that humans do not develop lifelong immunity to them, so they can get them again and again. They'll get them and they'll have good immunity for a while and then it will wane. Common cold symptoms, which can mimic COVID-19, present with fever, cough, loss of taste or smell, headache, muscle aches, fatigue, sore throat, chills, and congestion. But COVID-19, when progressed, can also cause shortness of breath, which can worsen and be fatal if not treated. Last year, influenza cases were scant in Arkansas due to masking and social distancing, but cases are on the rise this flu season, which extends from early autumn to early spring. So far this year, we have not seen any deaths related to influenza. Uh, of course, the flu season has just recently started. For the last flu season from the fall of uh, 2020 through the spring and summer of 2021, there were 24 people who died of influenza that were reported to the Arkansas Department of Health. So it's around, and of course, the number of people who die from influenza is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the number of people who really get influenza. So we expect that we will see it circulating in Arkansas And for that reason, we strongly encourage people to get vaccinated against the flu. You don't want flu and COVID at the same time. And we know that the flu puts people in the hospital every year. We'd like to keep as many people out of the hospital due to the flu. And so we want people to get vaccinated so they don't end up in the hospital. In late 2020 and early 2021, according to national data, only 155 Americans were hospitalized with flu, when typically nearly 10,000 are hospitalized annually. Earlier this summer, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention issued an advisory for RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, which can be fatal in infants and young children. The virus typically appears in autumn, worsening in winter, similar to influenza, documented by physicians in ER visits, but eased some during the pandemic lockdown. But as things opened up this summer? We saw a lot of uh, RSV in the summertime, which we usually don't see. We even saw a lot of flu in the summertime, which we usually don't see. We were well above our summer baseline for flu for most of the summer. So we know those viruses are around and they're circulating and they're likely to keep circulating. And as the winter time comes, more people are indoors. We think that we'll see the spread of these viruses as well as the spread of COVID-19. Early winter allergies are circulating with a vengeance now, which can mimic certain cold and flu virus symptoms. A lot of the symptoms caused by allergies is due to inflammation because whatever it is the person is allergic to, pollen, you know, or 
um, environmental um, allergens that they breathe in irritate their nasal passages, their sinuses, and so forth. And they may have uh, a congestion as a result of the inflammation that causes swelling of the tissues and a runny nose. It may cause a cough, especially if they get post-nasal drip. Usually it doesn't cause a fever. And uh, it's usually pretty mild and people respond well to uh, anti-allergy type medicines. Since a pandemic was declared, around 8,500 Arkansans have died due to COVID-19, and cases after downward trending this summer and early autumn are creeping up. But good news, with FDA approval, CDC is now recommending children ages 5 to 11 get vaccinated for COVID-19. Studies show that the pediatric vaccine for kids 5 through 11 work really well to prevent COVID-19. And of course, if a kid doesn't get COVID-19, they can't give it to someone. So that is protection for their teachers, the people who work in the schools or in the daycares or after school activities, as well as the people in their household. So it's a win for everyone. And I think that if we really want to get on the other side of this pandemic, it's better for as many people to become immune to COVID-19 by getting vaccinated. And then we're going to need to make sure that people who do get sick, either from COVID-19 or from the flu or from a cold, they stay home when they're sick. Influenza, cold, and COVID-19 viruses all mutate to survive. And this month, a new COVID-19 variant, Delta Plus, which originated in the UK and may be more transmissible than the original Delta variant, is now spreading in the U.S., raising concerns about a new outbreak, especially among those who remain unvaccinated. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. The Arkansas Razorback soccer team will host Northwestern State. Friday in the first round of the NCAA tournament. The matchup, with Arkansas earning a national number two seed, was announced yesterday by the NCAA. It's the first time the two programs have ever met on the pitch. Meanwhile, the John Brown University women's soccer team hosting Mid-America Christian tonight in Siloam Springs. That's the Sooner Athletic Conference semifinals. A JBU win tonight would mean they would host the tournament final Friday night at Alumni Field. The Eureka Springs Original Ozark Folk Festival is November 11th through the 14th. This year's lineup starts with Gangsta Grass, with opening act The Creek Rocks. Also appearing is Jonathan Bird, Melissa Carper, and Arkansas. Event scheduled, ticket information, and more available at eurekasprings.org. This is Ozarks at Large. Thursday, Veterans Day, the music of one of, if not the, preeminent touring musical ensembles of the late 1930s and early 1940s will be heard in Baumwalker Hall at Walton Arts Center. The Glenn Miller Orchestra will bring 17 musicians and singers to the stage, along with some of the biggest hits of the first half of the 20th century, In the Mood, Tuxedo Junction, and Moonlight Serenade included. It is difficult to overemphasize the popularity of the Glenn Miller Band at the orchestra's peak. 69 top 10 hits and 16 number one tunes. Miller volunteered for the U.S. Army in 1942, and in December 1944, his aircraft disappeared over the English Channel. The current Glenn Miller Orchestra formed 12 years after that and has been steadily touring ever since. Well, with minimal dates, of course, during the pandemic. Recently, 
we reached the orchestra's musical director, Eric Stabnow. He began his career with the Glenn Miller Orchestra as a tenor saxophonist, and I asked him about the enduring music the orchestra performs. This really is the last full-time touring swing band like this. Of course, back in the day, there were many of these groups, and, and Glenn Miller's Orchestra, that's really the last one where we perform this music full-time. And of course, part of that is just the big hits. Glenn had some of the most popular songs of his era, or any era, songs like Moonlight Serenade, uh, In the Mood, tunes that everyone knows, and if you don't know it by name, then you definitely recognize it. And that's a big piece of it, it's just the big hits that he had. Um, but I think there's something to this particular genre of music that people are still attracted to. There's something about seeing the big band on stage. Uh, we're performing with uh, 15 musicians, 14 instrumentalists, and one lead singer at this point. And I think people really gravitate towards that acoustic sound coming off the stage. They hear the saxophones, the trombones, the trumpet, the rhythm section. Really the only microphone is for the singer. And I think people really love that sound and they love seeing the instruments off stage. You, you mentioned In the Mood, and of course that was such a huge hit. It topped the national charts after it came out for something like 25 or 30 weeks. And it's such... Uh, what a strong piece of music. What's it like, because you were there, what's it like to be on stage with 17 other musicians playing that tune? You know what, that really is the big hit for the orchestra. And a lot of times we program that at the end of the show, and every single time it gets the biggest round of applause. Uh, people just love that song. I don't know what it is about it. In the Mood kind of defines this band. It kind of defines that period of time, that generation, and people just love that song. You're the music director, not me, but I can't imagine by the time the concert's done at Walton Art Center on the 11th of November, we won't have heard Pennsylvania 65,000? Oh, yeah. Yep, you'll hear Pennsylvania. That's uh, one of about 10 big hits that we play at every concert. Now, we normally do these two-hour shows with an intermission, and it gives us time to play maybe 20 to 22 songs. So about 10 of those stay the same from concert to concert, and those are Glenn's big hits. That, of course, includes Moonlight Serenade, In the Mood, always includes Pennsylvania 65,000, uh, String of Pearls, and there's several others in there. So if you came to hear the big hits, uh, then you'll hear the big hits. And if you come to hear some of Glenn's uh, lesser-known songs, then you'll hear those as well. So there's quite a bit of variety. <laughs> allow yourself, whether it was when you're with the tenor saxophone on stage, now as music director, do you ever close your eyes and imagine what it must have been like 1939 to be in the audience in front of Glenn Miller and his orchestra? 
Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I oftentimes wonder what it would have been like comparing our band with Glenn's band. And of course, you know, we try to reproduce this music as authentically as we can. And I think really do a good job of that. Um, but speaking to Glenn's original band, uh, just the last week, I was watching uh, two films that Glenn stars in. He was uh, chosen to star in these two movies from 1941 and 1942 called Sun Valley Serenade and Orchestra Wives. And uh, the band performs quite a bit in those. And you can see the band as it existed in those years, 41 and 42. And uh, yeah, I oftentimes wonder what it would have been like to have seen that band live. And finally, uh, the concert at Walton Art Center in Fayetteville is on November 11th, Veterans Day. That seems to be, to me, an even more special day and night to be part of the Glenn Miller Orchestra experience. Absolutely. Yep, this music is not just popular to, uh, to a generation, but it's also important. This is kind of the music of the war era, of World War II. Um, of course, Glenn joined the Army at one point. That's when he uh, eventually went missing uh, on a flight. But it's important and, and kind of recognizable for that World War II era. And we've continued uh, a tradition that's been on the band for a long time because of Glenn's association with the military, where we always recognize the veterans uh, playing Glenn's American Patrol and, and often recognize the veterans in some other ways as well. So um, these dates like veterans, they are certainly important to us in this music as well. Eric Stamnow is the musical director for the Glenn Miller Orchestra. The big band will be at Walton Arts Center Thursday night beginning at 7. Tickets start at $10. <laughs> This is Ozarks Large with me in the Anthony and Susanoy News Studio, Milton Grammarian, Catherine Childs. Welcome back. Thanks, Kyle. What are we going to do? Well, I recently found an article from Word Genius that addresses one of my favorite subjects, word origins. Mm. And this one upped the ante because it was common words with bizarre origins. Even more fun. <laughs> While many English words simply come from Latin, Greek, or other foreign languages, some words have seemingly bizarre or even downright macabre beginnings. Okay. Here's a word you and I are quite familiar with, deadline. That's when you got to finish a project. Right. Well, theory has it that it was coined in the American Civil War. A boundary line was placed around prison camps. And if any, pres if any prisoner crossed it, what do you think would happen? They'd shoot that prisoner dead? Yeah. Oh. It was a dead line. I think my deadline's better. <laughs> I faced some pretty irate <laughs> editors in my career, but nothing like that. Luke is a common modern name. Actually, ancient name, too, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But in Middle English, it literally meant tepid. So why do you think the word lukewarm was included in this list? Oh, because that's tepid water, right? What is? Lukewarm? Well, lukewarm is... I mean, but it's, it could describe water, but it could describe food, too. Yeah. So why is lukewarm included in w weird words, bizarre words? Well, I don't know. 
Well, it's redundant. Oh, oh, right, because if... If Luke means warm, it's right. like the Rio Grande River, right? Right, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Vista View. Yeah. A street in Bella Vista. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you get this one, Kyle. What do you think is the origin of the word lunatic? Well, lunacy, right, I mean... Right, but a base the, further back... What is lunatic? Oh, the moon. Uh-huh. The moon. Derived from Latin, lunaticus, lunaticus means moonstruck. Mm. It refers uh, to a periodic spell of insanity tied to the appearance of the full moon. It's a phenomenon that is still debated as crime tends to spike during full moons. I've heard that always, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, try this one. What might be the origin of the word mortgage? Now, think of how it's spelled. Mort gauge. Mm-hmm. Mort. What does mort rem- think of, <laughs> make you think of? Uh, mortal, like you're going to, this is going to hang with you throughout your life on Well, Earth. that's immortal. Yeah. Okay. What does mortal mean? Oh, so it will end. Uh-huh. So a mortgage is a payment that has... Ideally, a time that it will end, yep. like your life, yep. Yep. and hopefully the mortgage ends before your life. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> this word has its roots in Old French, but its translation is quite macabre. Mortgage, in two words, mortgage in French means death pledge, <laughs> <laughs> which a lot of us yes. feel that yes. way. Modern usage doesn't refer to death of the one pledging, but rather the death end of the obligation. Quite simply, a mortgage is a payment you'll be making until completion, Mm. which we hope is not the same as death. Right, (laughs) right. Any idea where the word muscle comes from? Does spelling help this? Help me with this? Not really. No, then I have no Mm -hmm. idea. It's derived from the Greek word M-Y-S, ms, I guess, which means mouse. Should this make sense to me? Nope. Okay. I mean, it could. Muscles were so named because the shape and movement of some muscles were thought to resemble the shape of mice. Not mine, but (laughs) if you can imagine a a beefed-up arm. I mean, these are the same folks who gave us the consolation names, and I squint, and I don't really see. <laughs> okay. I mean, it was before They had media. a lot of time on their they hands. They did. They did. They did. And great imagination. Uh, this one freaks me out. I suffer from musophobia. One Fear of mice? The, uh, and rats, yeah. Seriously, mice, yeah. Well, I'm not around rats that right. much. So looking at the two words you do know, Kyle, what might you guess would be the origin of nightmare? Oh, this is not going where I thought it was going. Um, what do I think is the origin of the word nightmare? Uh-huh. Well, it's, I thought it was self-explanatory. What's a mare? Oh, well, that's a good point. <laughs> so, okay, so night, uh-huh, right, nocturnal. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, mare is a horse. Yeah, but this is nothing about horses. Okay. The word mare comes from a mixture of Old and Middle English and refers to an evil spirit which lies upon and suffocates unsuspecting sleepers. <laughs> okay. That in itself could be yeah. fodder for a nightmare. <laughs> right. Right. Maybe you can guess this next one, Kyle. Maybe. What do you have any idea what the origin of salary is? 
salary like what we get paid? Mm-hmm. Spelling going to help me? If you know Spanish, S-A-L. Mm. Don't know what S-A-L in Spanish is. Oh, I did in eighth grade, but that's been a long <laughs> time ago. Salt. Oh, and salt was once currency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With roots in, a, in Latin, salary is derived from the word salarium, with sal, sal, meaning salt. Salt was used as a means of payment in ancient Rome as it was a valuable and expensive commodity. I'm guessing you didn't have wallets then. Because keeping, <laughs> yeah, keeping salt $100 around. of salt in your wallet would have been difficult. <laughs> I, I have to say, Kyle, the origin of our last word is quite apt. A really sharp, sarcastic remark can be devastating. Yeah. Any idea as to the origin of the word sarcastic? I mean, not necessarily the word, because you probably wouldn't know that, but what it means. No. Sarcasm tends to leave metaphorical wounds on one's emotional well being. Yeah. Its origin, rooted in ancient Greek, falls under similar sentiments and comes from the word sarcasine. I'm sure that's not right. Meaning stripping off the flesh. <laughs> wow. Wow. Now that is a sarcastic remark. No, I'm, kidding. I'm happy to say, Kyle, that through this all, I never once pronounced origins as oranges. Catherine Gerald is our militant grammarian. <laughs> This is KUAF 91.3 Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Osage Mills. You can listen to us anytime, anywhere using the KUAF app. Timothy Dennis produced today's show in the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio. Contributors included Daniel Carruth, Jacqueline Froelich, our militant grammarian Catherine Sherlds, and additional content provided by the news staff at KUAR Public Radio for Little Rock and Central Arkansas. Our conversations between John Brummett from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette and Roby Brock with Talk Business and Politics part of our continuing partnership with Talk Business and Politics. You can learn more at talkbusiness.net. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Thank you so much for spending time with us on this Tuesday. We will come back tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. for a brand new Wednesday edition of our show. You can always listen to us when you'd like on your schedule if you download or subscribe to the Ozarks at Large podcast, available for free through all the major podcast distributors. All right, that'll do it for this Tuesday. I'm Kyle Kellums. Be well.